Well, we want to spend a few moments looking at a story that we know well out of Genesis chapter 3, and those of you who were in Bible class uh, talked about the entire chapter and this entire story. We're going to take a little excerpt out, and this is after Adam and Eve have chosen to do the one thing God told them not to do, to eat of the tree, and their encounter with God following that. Let's be standing, please, as we hear this, the Word of God. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, And who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. May God bless the reading of his word. A man named Martin Coppenhaver is a minister up in Massachusetts. And one day he got the bright idea that he would surprise his wife with a trip into New York City and going to a Broadway play. She loved that. So normally she made all the arrangements when they traveled, but this time he went behind her back and did all this as a surprise, and he bought the tickets to the play, he made the reservation at the hotel, he made a reservation at a really nice restaurant close to the theater the night of the play. So finally the big time came, he sprung the surprise on his wife, she was delighted, they packed, off to New York City they went. Well the night of the play they were sitting in the restaurant eating, And his wife was talking about the play and how excited she was about it. And she says, you did bring the tickets, didn't you? And he patted his, you know, coat pocket and there they were. And he pulled them out and showed them to her. And he looked at them and went pale. His reaction was so obvious. His wife kind of thought he was having a heart attack or something. She said, are you okay? And he said, yeah. I said, but these tickets were for last night. They're for Tuesday night. This is Wednesday night. I could have sworn that I bought Wednesday night tickets. I've had these for three months. I put them up. I hadn't looked at them. I just knew they were Wednesday night. So they didn't know what they were going to do, but they they skipped dessert and rushed off to the theater hoping that they could have some, you know, fix this in some way. So they went up to the ticket taker there at the, the door as the theater and began to explain what had happened, and he stopped them and said, if you will stand over there in that corner of the lobby, Miss Morris will come talk to you. So off they went to their corner, and 
feeling a little bit of hope that, well, there is something that can be done, and Miss Morris is going to fix this situation. And, and Martin began to go through his mind, his mind, the story, you know, that he was going to tell her. He, you know, tell her that he had had the tickets for months, and he thought he had asked for Wednesday night, but some mistake was made somewhere, and that he had never done anything like this before in his whole life, and that he was really a very responsible person. You know, after all, he was a minister, and this was just a unique situation. It just happened, and surely she would understand. Well, they stood there for a few minutes with him going over his story in his mind, and they noticed that there was another couple talking to the ticket taker. And then the ticket taker pointed to their corner, and here came that couple to stand beside them. And then there was another couple, and then there was another couple, and they began to share their stories. One couple had left their tickets at home. Uh, one couple, had the lady had picked up the wrong purse as they were leaving. And one couple was kind of like Martin and his wife, although they just discovered their tickets were for the matinee performance, not the evening performance. And Martin said that hearing all these excuses, he suddenly realized that no one's excuse was all that unique, nor was it very compelling And as they began to hear everybody's excuses, they kind of got embarrassing. Well, eventually, Miss Morris did come over to the little group, and everybody began telling her their stories. And finally, she let them into the theater for the standing room only group. Martin says, there I learned where excuse givers go in the theater. Not to hell but to standing room, which is very close. And he said he wondered how many excuses Miss Morris heard every day. Unique excuses repeated over and over and over again. And then he thought, well, if Miss Morris hears a lot of excuses, he wondered how many excuses God hears every day. Some of you who like to read may have heard of a man named Frank McCourt. He wrote a wonderful book called Angela's Ashes about growing up in Ireland. Well, Frank McCourt immigrated to the United States, has continued to write books, and he wrote a book called Teacher Man about his experience in teaching at a kind of a rough-and-tumble school on Staten Island. A lot of kids growing up in very difficult circumstances and a lot going on in that school. He taught English and composition. And he said, as an English teacher, June, <laughs> he had to assign a lot of writing assignments. And he said, you could not believe the moaning and the groaning that he would hear from these kids whenever he assigned them to write a short paper. And yet, so many times, instead of bringing their assignment with them, They would bring an excuse. And what he began to notice was that these excuses were always written as if their parents wrote them, but it was rather obvious that they had written the excuse. And he began to notice that these excuses were well done. Uh, They were really very well written. And he began to collect these excuses. Uh, I got a couple here or three I want to share with you. For example, 
Here's an excuse. Arnold doesn't have his work today because when he was getting off the train yesterday, the door closed on his school bag and the train took it away. He yelled at the conductor, but the conductor said some very vulgar things to him. Something should be done about that man. Another excuse, a man died in the bathtub upstairs and it overflowed and messed up all of Roberta's homework that was on the table. That's creative, don't you think? Oh, here's another one. We were, we were evicted from our apartment and that mean sheriff said that if my son kept asking for his notebook, he'd have us all arrested. McCourt thought, you know, if they would put that kind of effort and that kind of creativity into doing the work assigned, it would all be good. The book of Genesis is a book of firsts. We hear about the first people, the first to everything, first families, the first time people did anything, it's recorded in the book of Genesis. Some of those first are really good things, but included in them are some first that are very bad. And included in the book of Genesis, we have the first excuses that were ever offered. Last week, we talked about how God had created human beings, Adam and Eve, and how he had planted a garden for them and put them in the garden and had given them everything that they needed, all the things they needed to eat, had given them work to do to make them happy, everything they needed, and told them there was only one thing that they couldn't do. And that was something that they promptly did. But you know, they had their reasons for doing it. And in the text we read, we have their reasons, don't we? As God goes and encounters Adam and Eve, knowing that they had disobeyed, knowing that they had sinned, he goes and asks them what they had done. And Adam immediately tells them, well, I probably wouldn't have done it, but my wife badgered me into doing it. You know how she is. You should know how she is, because after all, you're the one who gave her to me. It's her fault. It's God's fault. He turns to the woman and says, well, what about you? Why did you do it? And she indirectly blames God by saying that, well, it's that serpent, another one of God's creations, that serpent, he tricked me. There we have it, the first excuses ever made. But they certainly weren't the last. In fact, if you like excuses, be a Bible reader. You know, the Bible is full of lots of excuses. You may pick up a tip here or there, you know. For example, the story of Moses. Moses was called to go and to deliver the people of Israel out of Egypt. And immediately there as he's standing before a burning bush, talking to God himself, and God is saying, here's what I want you to do. What does he do? He starts making excuses. Well, I don't talk very well. I, people think maybe he had a stutter or something. There's something wrong with the way I talk. Or, or you know, if, you, if I go over there and tell them God said to come get you, they're not going to believe me. They're not going to believe that you sent me over there. Or finally, he just says, you know, delivering people out of bondage, that's just not my thing. Yeah? <laughs> that's not what I do. 
It's interesting that as we keep reading, we find another story with someone giving excuses, but this time it's Aaron, Moses' brother, giving excuses to Moses. Uh, I wonder if Moses didn't kind of stop and think, oh, so that's what that sounds like whenever it happened to him. This is when Moses had been up on Mount Sinai for 40 days, receiving the law of God and receiving instructions on building the tabernacle. And then he had come down, and as he started coming down the mountain, he began to hear all this noise of all this goings-on. And then he got down a little further and realized that Aaron, his brother, had made a golden calf, and the people were dancing around and worshiping this golden calf as if it were a god. And Moses goes up to Aaron and says, why have you done this? Well, Aaron has his reasons. The people made me do it. You know how they are. What could I do? They forced me to do this. And then he turns to him and says, you know, really, though, it's your fault, Moses. You're the one that disappeared on us. You went up that mountain. You were gone for over a month. We didn't know where you were. We thought you had died. If you had stayed down here where you needed to be, this would have never have happened. And then he finally, in essence, blames God again. We seem to always work it back to God's fault. But he blames God because he says, you know what I did? I just took a bunch of gold and I threw it in that fire and that calf just jumped out. Really believable stuff, huh? By the way, let me give those of you who like to make excuses a little hint here or a little advice. Aldous Huxley once said, that several excuses are far less effective and convincing than one. So if you're going to make excuses, decide which one it's going to be and stick with it, all right? Let's not give a lot of excuses because it starts sounding a little fishy after a while. Jesus told a story where he compared the Uh, kingdom of heaven to a great banquet that a guy was giving and remember that he issued invitations for people to come to his banquet and they began making excuses one of them said well I'd like to come but I just bought some property I need to go look at it which that's really solid isn't it I, I hope if you're an investor who buys property go look at it before you buy it all right but this guy's gonna go look at his property that he just bought another guy says well you know I just bought some farm equipment some oxen, and I want to go out and take them for a spin, see how they work. Another guy says, well, I just got married. You know, I think I'll be on my honeymoon at that time. Excuses. Don't you wonder how many excuses God has heard? Well, he's heard all of these, and he's heard mine, and he's heard yours. Interesting thing about it is that excuses only make the situation worse. Excuses are an attempt at self-justification and as such show a lack of faith and a continuance of the very sin that we committed to begin with. Those of you in class talked about how When Adam and Eve sinned by eating of the tree, they became like God. Remember that point that was made in class? I hope you do, because that is so important. Because that's what sin is all about, is when we put ourselves in the place of God. That's what sin is. When we decide, we will decide what we want to do. We'll do what we want to do. And, you know, we don't care what God thinks or what he has told us to do. 
We become God in our own eyes. Well, to make excuses about our actions is to just continue that same sin. Because to make an excuse is to try to justify ourselves, and we can never justify ourselves. Justification is the work of God. Only He can justify. Our part in the process is to fess up and own it and say, yeah, that's what I did. Every time we sin, we damage relationships. Every time we sin, we damage our relationship with God and we damage our relationship with each other. I hope you talked about that in class as well. In the story of Adam and Eve, as soon as they disobeyed God, they became their own gods. They started making their own decisions. Then they put distance between them and God. They became ashamed to even be in the presence of God. But they also turned on each other, didn't they? They began pointing fingers at one another. And that's what that kind of disobedience does. It, it breaks up not only our relationship between us and God, but it causes problems in our relationships with each other. And what we must come to realize and accept is that once we've done something to damage our relationship with God and damage our relationship with each other, that to make an excuse or several excuses rather than just owning up to it and confessing it does even more damage, especially in our relationship with God. You know, it's true. When we choose to confess to another person that we've made a mistake, when we choose to go to someone that we've hurt and apologize for what we've done, we run a risk because that person may or may not choose to be forgiving. That person may choose to be gracious and to seek to restore the relationship that has been damaged, or that person may not choose to do that. And we can't deny that fact, that confessing wrongs to someone else does run somewhat of a risk, even though we realize it's still the right thing to do and still something we must do. But every time we take our sins before God, we can always count on His grace and mercy and always know that when we grow up enough to own what we've done and to take it before God and on our knees confess that He will forgive. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, a passage that you studied in Bible classes, I believe, back in the summer and one that you've known before. If we say we have no sin, now we can write that in several ways. I think that John would be okay with us interpreting it somewhat. If we just basically say, hey, I don't, I don't do anything wrong. Well, I don't think many of us fall into that category. That sort of denies reality too much, doesn't it? I don't ever hear many people say, well, I don't ever do anything wrong. Maybe John could also say, if I do things wrong and make a lot of excuses, or if I make some mistakes, but I just don't want to think about those mistakes, just sweep them under the rug, let them go. John says, we deceive ourselves. Isn't that interesting? 
Do you know that oftentimes the only person an excuse is actually effective on is the one who's given the excuse? We're so complicated, sometimes we can convince ourselves that the excuse works, even though no one else, particularly God, is buying it. But if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive our sins. The one whose business is to make things right again, the one who has the power to justify, will do so if we'll grow up, own it, and confess it. Now, this all begins with the act of baptism. The Christian act of baptism is what is done to someone who comes and says, I confess I am a sinner. It's a public profession of sin that I realize that I have messed up and that only God can forgive. But once we have gone through that and received the mercy and grace of God, we wish we could say we never make any more mistakes. But to say that, we deceive ourselves (laughs) and the truth is not in us. We know we do. And the door back into the relationship with God is confession. I don't know where you are today in your life and going, what's going on. It may be that this is a very regular practice of yours, that you constantly look at your life and when you realize that you have failed in some way, that you quickly take that to God and seek his forgiveness, that you quickly realize, when you realize that, that you have hurt someone else in some way, that you are quick to go to that person and to confess and ask for forgiveness. Or it could be that you're one who's kind of closed your eyes and hoped they go away and made your excuses. They won't go away until you own them and fess up. I want to close today with a prayer. And if, if this prayer is relevant to you, then please pray it with me. It's not my prayer. It's a prayer written by David hundreds of years ago when he realized that he needed to confess. Bow with me, please. Oh, Lord, have mercy on me according to your steadfast love. Because you are a God of abundant mercy, blot out my mistakes. Wash me, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my sins, they're ever before me, And I realize that I have sinned against you, and I have done what is evil in your sight. Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Give me my peace back. Give me my life back. And sustain in me a willing spirit, the desire to serve you. Let it not disappear tomorrow or next week. But may I keep this commitment to you. And Father, we know that you accept broken hearts. We know, Father, that when we come to you and confess that you have indeed forgiven and healed and restored. We know this because you gave us your Son, and it's through him we dare to bring to you our sins and our failures. Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand and sing.